0: Faith and works. The essence of James. I love. That intro to this series. It's going to be a powerful yet challenging series to navigate through together. And right off the bat, I want to let you know of one of the next steps that we're going to press into over the course of the next few weeks. If you follow us along at VOTRweekly.org, you can click on next steps, scroll to the bottom. There's a few invitations. We do this every week, things that you can sign up for to continue the message that you hear on Sunday throughout your journey, throughout the week. And one of them this week is to sign up for a Bible reading plan. It's really simple. You're just going to read the book of James for the uh, each week during this series. So you'll read the book of James about five times in a row, which might sound repetitive. But as you navigate these scriptures, you're going to realize quickly there's a lot of stuff in here to mine. And by reading it, you know five weeks in a row, about a chapter a day. A lot of the messages and ideas of James will rise to the surface for you. I think it will make your Sunday experience that much more powerful. So we'd invite you to sign up for that next step uh, if you'd like to do that. The book of James is, it's really an interesting book. It's actually written by Jesus's half brother, his younger brother, of course. And you can imagine what that would have been like for James growing up in the household where Jesus grew up. I mean, talk about firstborn expectations, following on the coattails of Jesus Christ, the man who never sinned. This would have been miserable. I was a middle child. This would have been miserable. What happens in my family right now is if somebody starts crying, there's a fight in the house. I gather all the children and I ask, okay, what happened? And I get one story. And then I ask the other child, what happened? And I get a completely different story. And then you have to like, as a parent, discern who's right and who's wrong. In Jesus's family, this never had to happen. Jesus is never wrong. He's not lying to me. You are lying to me, James. You're in trouble. Like that had to have been horrible. Had to have been horrible. I can't imagine just the sibling rivalries even. James always wanting to try to one-up his older brother, never being able to do it, ever. But you can tell. that that Jesus rubbed off on James in quite a dynamic way because as you read through the book of James, you realize pretty quickly this is essentially just a summary of the teachings of Jesus. Anyone who reads through the book of James can draw direct parallels time and time again to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous preaching message. He's basically just taking these messages of Jesus and applying them to the church. And it is a book that simply does not pull any punches because James isn't writing to a specific church somewhere uh, like a specific solutions to problems that different churches are navigating kind of like Paul did in some of his letters. Instead he's just writing to believers all over the place. It's kind of like a summary of everything that James has learned over the years. He's writing it down in one last letter and it, because of that, like every paragraph is a Ted talk just full of information in your face If you're a follower of Christ, your life should look like this over and over and over again. I think it's important for you to know that on the front end of this message, if you're here exploring the faith, You need to know that this book is really written directly to believers who are claiming to follow Christ. And we're so glad if you're exploring the faith and learning about Jesus that you can do that here in our community, in our midst. I'm so thankful that we have a a church and a community where you feel like you can belong before you believe. But you have to know beforehand that some of these messages, they they might not directly apply to you unless you're trying to follow Jesus because it is in your face with it. And if you have been following Jesus for quite some time, consider yourself spiritually mature or, or you're just new to the faith and you wanna explore what some of this means, you'll realize James is writing to you and he is not afraid. He's not afraid to put his finger right on the button and say, yes, 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 but what about this thing? As we navigate James, he's not afraid He's not afraid to talk about anything. And so I'm excited to press into this together because I think there's an invitation for all of us to examine our own hearts before God and to say, God, I give you permission to speak to me about areas that maybe are more immature than mature. I give you permission, God, to speak to me about my heart and my mind and my life in ways that could more easily look like I'm a follower of Christ. Does that make you guys excited? And we're gonna be pushing buttons for the next five weeks. I am excited. My, my smile is hard to hide. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the first, seri- or first message of the series. God, thank you. Thank you that your presence is here with us. Thank you for the generosity demonstrated in this church. Thank you that thousands of kids are gonna be fed. Thank you for the book of James. And I pray right now that as our eyes may have drifted off of you, that you would draw them back into your love, draw them back into your presence. And right now, we invite you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Everyone out loud this morning say, I will be tested. I will be tested. That was almost as good as first service. Let's try again. I will be tested. I will be tested. It is a lie that has been spoken throughout churches That when you give your life to Christ, that somehow the magic unicorns and fairies are gonna come down from heaven and sprinkle blessing on your life and everything is gonna be okay. The Christian life sometimes has troubles. It sometimes has trials. It is a real thing. And man, it is hard when you're getting pressed in on every side of your life and you felt like you were on solid ground and even that begins to crumble but you will be tested. James is kicking off the book. I mean, this is verse two of the book and he just jumps right into it with incredible clarity. When you are tested, not if you're tested, but when you are tested, consider it joy. Consider it joy. It says, when your faith, again, not if your faith, but when your faith is tested. And there are entire Christian movements built around this idea that you'll never have trials and troubles, that you're just made for victory all of the time. And there are passages, of course, about your victory in Christ. We're not downplaying that. I'm just saying, if you only stay there, you're only getting part of the biblical picture of what it means to follow Christ. The fullness is that sometimes you're going to have trials, sometimes you're going to have troubles, and it is not easy but somehow you pivot and you consider it joy when you're tested. The Navy SEALs who are some of you know, the, the United States Armed Forces like most specialized units, they train incredibly hard. They do special ops all over the place. It, it, it's an amazing kind of group of, of individuals. They have this saying that they repeat over and over again when they're training. The saying is embrace the suck right? Because training is going to suck. (laughs) This is going to be really bad for all of us. And what they do is they they actually like rally around that phrase. They rally around the struggle and the trial. And they say, if we can somehow partner with this, we'll be a better soldier on the other end. We'll be more prepared for what lies in front of us. And and I'm not trying to compare like Navy SEAL lifestyle to following Christ, right? The, The metaphor breaks down Okay, but I think there's probably more parallels there than we realize. There are, there's a reality that sometimes our life just kind of stinks. And we can try to ignore it and, and, and be naive to the struggles that are happening in our own life, or we can somehow step into that and say, God, I don't know how I got here. I don't know if it was my mess, your mess, someone else's mess, or I just landed here, but help me partner with what you're doing. Help me partner with what you're doing so that my spirituality, my faith, my journey can be made more complete and more whole, more like Jesus. I'm not saying just sit and hang out in the rough situations, but try and pray for heavenly perspective in the midst of these trials and tribulations, because you might be getting tested for a reason some of you might be asking this morning, like, why? Why on earth would God test me? God, why are you testing me? When is it going to be over? God, why, why don't you test him? Or why don't you test her? Why am I being tested? Well, there's two simple reasons why you are or you will be tested. God cares about who you are and God cares about who you are becoming. He cares about who you are and who you are becoming. God cares about who you are, first and foremost. God tests you because he cares about you. You're important to him. You're important to him, and so he tests you. Don't we test things that are important to us? Aren't you glad that there are structural engineers that test bridges before we drive over them? Aren't you glad that that people test cars before we get behind them? Aren't you glad that the government tests teenagers before they get a driver's license? Like this is generally a good thing for us, right? I test my children all of the time. Before I let you pour the milk, I'm gonna see if the dry cereal can get in the bowl. If all the dried cereal gets in the bowl, then you'll graduate to milk. But we're not going milk first, right? Before you get the bike, I'm, I'm, we might try a trike. Before I take the training wheels off, we might test you with a bike on training wheels. I don't even wanna talk about a car yet. We'll just... We'll just We'll stick to the bike for a while. That's going to be a good learning ground for my kids. We test things. I was at the gym the other week and, and there was a group of guys getting ready to play basketball. Someone passed this guy a basketball. First thing he did was press that ball on all sides, dribble it on the floor to see if it was up to snuff for the game they were about to play. We test things big and small, but we test things that we care about. And because you are important to God and because he cares about the perseverance and the grit and the faith that you have as a follower of Christ, he's going to test you. He's going to test you at the core of who you are because he deeply cares. He deeply cares about who you are, but he also cares about who you are becoming. God will test you because he cares about who you are becoming. Sometimes, I think we get into this this false reality that God is is more of a transactional God. He's more of a transactional leader with us, right? Like if I do this, then God will do this. If I show up for this class or get this education, then God will promote me. If I'm generous in this offering, then God will bless me at work. We operate sometimes with God like he's a transactional God, but God is much more of a transformational God then he is a transactional God. He cares about who you are becoming. He cares about who you are becoming. He's into the transformation of your life, the transformation of your heart, the transformation of your Christ. Likeness. If you look at verse three, you can see really what I'm pulling out from the text here. It says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I wanna emphasize the phrase has a chance to grow, which of course means it has a chance to not grow. Right, but the, but the big point for today is that it has a chance to grow. God is a God who is interested in your growth. He's not looking at you right now, wishing that you were gonna be yourself 10 years from now. He knows exactly where you're at. And he's interested in your growth. He's interested in your transformation. Because he's interested in who you are becoming. Who you are becoming. And we like to think that somehow we'll like magically learn all of life's, life's lessons without trials and tribulation. Without pain and without challenge. Somehow we we think that we'll become more spiritually mature by just watching someone else's trials. We think the rules can apply to everyone else, but not us, right? Like I've done this, I've negotiated with God. God, I don't need to learn patience. I can just watch my wife becoming more patient and somehow I'll become more patient, (laughs) right? I, I, I don't need that trial, God. Can I just watch that person skin their knee and just count it as a blessing and count it as a test that I've been through? It doesn't work that way. We somehow think that just watching everyone else's trials and never having any of our own will magically become the spiritually mature person, but it doesn't work that way. You need trials. You need testing and challenges and hardships in order to become more like Jesus. I mean, Jesus went through testing. He was tested. At times he was left by everyone around him. At times people wanted to throw him off a cliff. He was rejected by the people he came to save. Jesus was tested. Why do we think that somehow we'll magically get a pass on that? You will be tested, but it's because God cares about who you are becoming. He cares about the transformation of your heart. And the truth is sometimes you just need the fire in order to unlock some things in your heart. Sometimes you need the fire of challenge and trial and testing in order for some of those things that are dormant in your heart to just be exposed to the light and the love of the world so that it can come out and grow. This happens in nature all of the time. There's a really sweet tree, the lodgepole pine. It lives at like 8,000 plus feet here in Colorado. I spent some time uh, researching this with some CSU uh, majors, they were teaching me about the lodgepole pine. Their pine cone is so tight and it's so packed with resin that when it falls off the tree, it doesn't sprout a tree right away because not, the seeds aren't exposed to the light and the moisture that it needs because the pine cone is so tight. It actually takes a wildfire, intense heat, to come by those pine cones and melt that resin enough so that the pine cone will spread open and the seeds will scatter all over the place. We hate wildfires here, right? They affect the air, they affect the landscape. we try to blame somebody for starting them. But the reality is sometimes nature needs to bring about a natural burn so that new life can come. We have a picture of what this actually looks like. This is a picture of a burned area. And you can see all of the burned trees lying on the ground. But what you can see is all of these little seedlings coming up. That reality would have never happened if it wasn't for the burn. Some of you are in the midst of the burn right now. You look to your left, you look to your right, and it feels like everything is being consumed in your life. It feels like there's nothing that's off limits right now to this testing and this trial that you're going through. But I can tell you, this morning, that there is purpose behind the fire. There is a purpose behind the fire. And God cares deeply about who you are becoming. He wants, you to, make, he wants to make you more and more like his son. But when you navigate scripture, when you look into the book of James, you realize pretty quickly that, that James isn't just talking about how there are going to be trials and troubles. He's also talking about how you can posture your heart in the midst of trials and troubles. Actually, how you respond to testing is, is important to God. So I think a natural question that we should ask ourselves is how do I respond to testing? How do I typically respond to testing? When I grew up, I loved tests. I love finding out exactly where I was at, largely because I was competitive and I wanted to know how my test score stacked up with the rest of the room. We had this, we had this one test, it was in elementary school, and you would literally stand up next to somebody and whoever answered the question fast enough got to go to the next student. We called it around the world. It, I loved this, this like woke me up in the morning, right? Around the world, I'm going for it today. I wanna to make it three times around the classroom. My wife hated this game, hated this game. This is why we're so complimentary to each other. <laughs> I love testing. I, I loved I loved two-a-days at sports camps in the in the middle of the heat where your, your body was tested and you would you would be pushed to your limit to the point where you would like collapse on the track. I felt good about that. I knew my limits. But we're talking about something way beyond just athletics and academics. We're talking about when your life is literally crumbling all around you and relationships seem to be vanishing and finances seem to be just falling through a bag with a hole and you don't know how you're going to make it to the next day. These kind of trials, these kinds of troubles, they begin to reveal a certain amount of your character. They begin to reveal parts and pieces of your heart that maybe you didn't even know were there. But there is a purpose to the burn. Sometimes God brings about that testing and those trials in order to reveal some of those things so that we can get rid of them, so that we can lay hold of the Christ-like thing. So how do you respond? I'm just gonna put some words up on the screen and let you look at them. These are typically ways that humans respond. We blame and we complain. Well, we've all been there, right? It's not my fault, it's that person's fault. We just have a sense of grumbling and, and complaining about it. We we avoid things. We quit things before uh, the fullness of the work can be done in our heart. We try to find shortcuts to get to the same goal, but a different route than God, than what God has for us. Oftentimes we'll even find ourselves isolating from community because we don't want anyone else to know about these trials or troubles. We feel like it'll somehow disqualify us from our journey with Christ. And so we just isolate and keep those things hidden. These are Typical ways that we as humans respond to trials and testing. I didn't come up with this list. Actually, as you read the book of James, he pretty much systematically talks about all of these things. You're not happy about uh, us doing James. Now you probably are really excited that we're going to be going through James, right? This list comes from James. It comes from God. He knows this is like human nature that without Christ living in us and transforming us into his image, that this is like a natural response that we will have. To blame, to claim, to complain, to avoid or quit. But that's not the way that we want to live. I mean, on our worst days, we might land there, but that's not what we were created for. We were created for something more. Our hearts yearn to be more like Christ, to, they yearn to respond more like Jesus in moments of trials and troubles. But if we're honest, we com- commonly find ourselves in this place. Thankfully, James doesn't just point to the fact that we're gonna be tested. He actually gives us some ideas and some clues on how we can walk some of these trials and troubles out. Picking back up in verse five, this is what James continues to say. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Like I said, James is not afraid to just start pushing buttons in our heart. Two ways that you can respond right from this text in the midst of trials and troubles, you can respond with humble prayer and steadfast faith. Humble prayer and steadfast faith. Two ways that this scripture, two ways among many, but specifically this scripture talks to Christians on how we can respond to trials and troubles. Verse 5 As I pull this first reality out of humble prayer, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. This is essentially prayer. Dialoguing with God, asking God, talking to God, asking him for things that you need. And specifically, James is talking about a type of prayer. He's talking about humble prayer, asking for things that you don't have, admitting that you're in need and coming to God and asking for help, God, I, I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm gonna make it to the next step. How long is this going to last? God, give me heavenly wisdom so that I know how to walk this out. Humble prayer is one of the key ways to respond in the midst of trials and pain. And, and you know, the second part of verse five, I think is really, really important. The part where it says that God will not rebuke you for asking, God will not rebuke you for asking. Some of you are afraid to ask God for these things because you think that he doesn't care about the problems that you're facing. You think he doesn't want to be bothered with your little earthly problems or that he might even rebuke you for asking. So you see, some of you have, have picked this up maybe early in your childhood from a parent or a teacher or a coach. You were in over your head and you went to that person and you said, I need help. How can I solve this problem? And all you got was a rebuke right away. Are you kidding me? You're 10 years old. This is a five-year-old problem. You should know better by now. Your older brother or your older sister, they knew this by the time they were eight. How do you not know this? We've heard things like that. And then what's happened in our minds and our hearts is we've we've taken those phrases and we've transferred them to God and now we won't even ask him because we're afraid he's gonna rebuke us. And that somehow our journey with him will be truncated short because now God just thinks that we're ill-informed and immature and he's not interested in moving us forward and giving us a chance to grow. But that's a lie a lie that we've picked up just through the messiness of life. But it says here that God is a generous God, that he is a good God, that he wants to liberally give his wisdom to you. You just need the humility to ask and and, and even the faith to trust that he is a good God, that he can rewrite some of the pains you experienced, some of the lies that you've been telling yourself. I imagine that this is even resting on some of you right now. And if it is, then pay attention to that. In a moment, when we wrap up the service, we're gonna have prayer ministry. And and if one of those phrases is like your phrase, and we wanna pray for you later this morning so that God can begin to heal some of those wounds. Humble prayer in verse five, you will not be rebuked. God is a generous, good God with his wisdom. The next thing that you read in this text is that you need steadfast faith. You need humble prayer and you need steadfast faith. James is is emphasizing faith, but again, he's emphasizing steadfast. I wanna read just three or four qualifiers that James includes in these verses five, six, seven, and eight. Just really quickly, to remind you of how steadfast is being emphasized. James says, faith in God alone. Do not waver. Don't be unsettled. Have singular loyalty, not divided loyalty. He's saying that you you need a steadfast, forward-looking faith, not one eye on God and one eye on the world. This is how you're going to make it through trials and troubles. This is how your spiritual maturity is going to grow this is how you're going to become more like Christ. I mean it is really really hard to make it through serious life challenges and trials if you only have one eye on God. If you're standing on unstable ground. You need to be firmly planted on the truth of Christ, eyes fixated on what he's doing in your life to move forward. Because in this life you're you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. Again, it's not if, but when. In your Christian journey, you're going to have trials. You're going to have troubles. But God cares for you in those moments. He cares not only in the version of who you are today, but he cares in the version of who you will be in five years, in 10 years, because God can see the end from the beginning. He knows who you are becoming and he deeply cares cares about it. Actually, I have a a rope up here. I want to close with this. Chuck, can you grab that rope and bring it up? This is Chuck, by the way. He serves in the sound booth like all the time for us. Thank you. This rope, if we can be a little imaginative this morning, represents your life. It's designed to represent your life. Some of you may get hit, so be alive out there. (laughs) Hold on. We got a knot in our life. There we go. It happens. It's a trial. And the rope up here represents the beginning of your life. And the rope back at the sound booth represents the end of your life. See, God can see the end from the beginning. He knows who you are becoming. And yes, he sees that maybe you're growing right now, that you're not who you're going to be 10, 20, or 30 years from now. But right now, this is where you're at. This is who you are. And actually, if I pull it tight, you can see that it gets straight and narrow. This is what we mistakenly imagine our Christian faith is going to be like. Point A to point B, a straight line, a gradual increase in our spiritual maturity and when we, when we get to the end of our life, we are going to be just like Jesus and we'll accomplish all the missions and purposes that God has for us. But this is not a real picture of life. This is not what life actually looks like and how it actually plays out. Brian, can I ask for your help? Can you stand up and go grab that rope for me? I'm gonna give you some slack. Church participation, be ready. I might call on you next. Go ahead and go back and sit down. You might get hit in the face, just watch out. You're going there. God God wants you to become this person. God has this mission and this purpose for you, but somehow, some way you just get off track a little bit and all of a sudden you navigate like 45 degrees to the left and you think to yourself, how did I even get here? What kind of trial, what kind of tribulation landed me here? What can I do? How can I get out of this mess? Chad, can you grab that rope too? Just go ahead and grab it. Brian, I'm going to give you a bunch of slack. Just let it come through your hands. And Chad, go ahead and sit down with your side of the rope. Yep. This is guaranteed to make sure no one falls asleep during my messages. I'm going to do this more often. All of a sudden, you get in your point, the point in your life where, you're, where, where Brian is, and next thing you know, you take another turn. You thought you were going there. You you thought maybe you would move to this place or get this job or be in this relationship and it all comes crashing down and the fire is all around you. And again, you seem to pivot way off course. But God is with you on that journey. God knows who you are going to become. He can see your end from the beginning. And this little diversion, God is the master at correcting course in your life. That is the master of navigating trials and troubles with you, with his generosity of wisdom and love and care and compassion. He's not disappointed when you get to that juncture in the road. He's not upset with you or rebuking you when you land in that spot of your life. Some of these tests and trials, believe it or not, are from God because God knows the only way you get to the end is through some of these trials and some of these tribulations. God knows that the only way you'll become more and more like Christ is if you get tested here and there along the journey. This is the Christian life that is paradoxical. And sometimes we actually move off course before we get there. Sometimes we, we get tested and tried before we end there. And then there's this little joint in the rope where it feels like, man, that is like the hardest spot. That is like the worst test and the worst trial you've ever been in. And, and actually some of you are in that spot right now, the spot where you don't know if the rope is going to stand or if it's going to break. And you don't know if that journey is going to continue or if it's going to stop but God sees you even in the toughest spaces. And he knows exactly how strong that joint is in your journey. If you'll cry out with humble prayer, and if you'll stay on the journey with steadfast faith, you will experience God in that moment and you will grow in your spiritual maturity. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. James is not saying it's easy but he's saying there is a purpose to the fire. There's a purpose to the fire in your life. Let's pray.